When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Coach Unplugged. I'm so excited you decided to join us. Before we jump in and deep dive into our subject today, I'd like to give a big shout out to our sponsor, sponsors, plural. Uh, first of all, Dr. Dish, the number one shooting machine on the market. It, it, the customer service is, I, I can tell you a story of like, oh, geez, maybe it was two or three years ago where I couldn't get I, it, was, and it was an older machine. It wasn't one of the newer machines, but I couldn't get it. And they, they literally sat on the phone with me for almost an hour um, trying to problem solve. Eventually we got it. Eventually we needed to get a couple of pieces kind of sent, but um, their customer service and that with that, that for, at that point on, they had a customer for life. So go mention coach unplugged or, or coach Collins or any of us, and they'll give you $400 off for you. I said it right. $400 off your next purchase. Also go over and check out ttubes.com for coaches who want to get better. Um, if you're looking to become a better basketball coach, you're looking to expand, if you're looking for a mentor, if you're looking for resources, ttubes.com is the answer. It's the one-stop shop for basketball coaches. It's better than Netflix because it comes with me. <laughs> it comes with one-on-one -on -one calls. It comes with um, resources and things to make you a better basketball coach. It has everything that you're going to need in one spot. It has the roadmap set up for you so you know to kind of kind of go tackle other things that you need in order to solve um, your basketball questions. So go over and check it out. It also helps us pay the bills. So go over and check that out. Also, I, and I said this, um, I, I said this on a, on a couple other podcasts. We'd love if you go over and check out our other podcast, High School Hoops, uh, the Five Minute Basketball Coaching Podcast, the Funnel Down Defense Podcast. Go over and check those out. I think you'll love those. Um, we love sharing with the world and leave a five star review. Let's head off the podcast. Like yes. there are times and you can, if you know your players well, I can tell as a kid is entering the gym, he's having a rough day. This probably isn't going to be a very good practice for him. Right. And I just have to give him the grace kind of to have a bad practice, even though it may go against what I want, my plans. But, you know, you're, you're a coach, right? And 
you understand that this is only a part of their life. They've got other things going on outside of that. And so I think just like you said, taking the time to understand your players, understand how they learn, understand the other influences that are in their lives. And then how can I help with all of those together? Right. I think that's the hardest. That's one of the biggest challenges for a coach is it is for a teacher too. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially in the last couple of months as a teacher trying to, trying to teach the things I need to teach. It's been hard. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's probably the hardest two months of my teaching career in 30 plus years. Um, because I think it's such teaching is such a, um, interactive thing. Uh, and you know, not that we're not, you and I aren't interacting, but it would be different if we were sitting in a room having breakfast together. Um, you know what I mean? There's, I don't know how to quantify that, but it's different. Um, and I think that's a challenge all of us are facing right now. Um, I I think it's important to remember too, we say that, you know, things aren't like they used to be, you know, we've discovered that the effective way now is not to just sit and lecture all the time. Right. The truth of the matter is 50, 60 years ago, kids were more inclined to and trained to because of their other activities to sit and listen for longer periods of time. Right. Maybe not that we're it's better now that we're doing it this way. It's that we're adapting to how they already are conditioned to learn. Right. And if you're not interactive and if you're not engaging and asking questions, like that's another thing that I would encourage coaches. If you're the one talking all the time and there's no questions being asked and no answers being given by your players, don't expect them to be decision makers and problem solvers. Right. Another thing that we talk about in sports now it's not just teaching them the technical skills and the tactical skills. It's the decision-making skills as well. But if you're not using that, those techniques in practice to teach them decision-making and, you know, answering questions, like don't expect them to be good decision-makers in games. I agree. Um, So give me a two sentence coaching, your coaching philosophy in two sentences. Oh man. Um, Or three or one. I there there's just so much more that goes into to it than just the basketball right I mean we just talked about the other components and the fact of the matter is, is that these kids are they're gone after four years but I do know in those four years that I probably have a, at least as good big of an impact probably greater impact on them than anybody else in their life because of the fact that the amount of time that we're spending together, you know, at the college level, especially I'm with them in practice. I'm with them on overnight trips. I'm with them in the vans and the buses. And so I've been even challenged to kind of make the most of those opportunities. And it's not talking to them all the time because they don't want to be talked to all the time, but just knowing that I care, I think even right now, this day and age that we're living in the situations that we're going through, like sending them a text and making sure that they know that I care about how they're thinking and how they're feeling. Right. So I think overall, that's what I do. I send like, I'll, I'll send a Snapchat to, I have a couple yeah. groups that, since the corn. I mean, and I'll just, I'll send it to my varsity. I'll send it to my, I'll say, Hey, how you guys doing? You know, and I'll, I'll be on a walk or something. And it'll, you know, it's like just checking in kind of, yeah. um, it, I think just being in, I mean, philosophy, if I, one sentence is just impacting them, impacting them for life and beyond. I mean, you know, basketball and beyond because you know, it, it ends at basketball, but there's a good chance that, and I hope that we talk about our program being family. You know, I bring my family around a lot. They all know the players. Um, the players all know them. I, I want them to see me and my family and see this is the way that 
hopefully I'm doing it, doing it the right way. Right. The family should be raised. And I've got some that don't have fathers. I've got some who have split homes. Right. Like I want to show them what a home looks like that love each other and that, you know, want their kids to grow up the right way and that they need to be a leader and provide. And so, you know, the, the impact beyond basketball is, is bigger for us than the basketball. I mean, the basketball usually takes care of itself when your culture is right. And I think the culture is based off of what you value. And if you're valuing the right things, it's kind of all circular, right? Like the it basketball is. again, will take care of itself. What's uh, what's one thing you've learned in the last six months? Um, as a teacher, I'm just constantly, it may not be the last six months, but I'm just reminded of it in the last six months is to con be a continual learner. Um, a quote that I saw the other day, I'll butcher it, but you know, gaining knowledge is not always learning. So in this day and age, especially as we sit here as you know, the ironic part is both of us produce content right. for other people to learn from. Right. I'm going to continue to do that. But the fact of the matter is by it, it's not going to make me a better coach by just watching all 500 virtual clinics. Right. Right. Like I, I need to sit down and actually focus on something. And that was something we, we instituted a new offense this last year. And I really dove into it, made it my own. And I felt like I really grew in an area that I didn't know a lot about, but I spent a lot of time on it. And so in this day where we consume a lot of knowledge and information, there can probably be too much that I'm, I'm gaining and too much that I'm learning, that I'm listening to, but I'm not really learning. Right. And oh, those clinics, goes, when, when the pandemic started, those clinics, I literally would pick one a day and watch because it was too much. It was first yeah. of all, like, oh my God, I, this is yeah. like, this is yeah. overload. Like, and I went for about two weeks and then I just stopped. And it wasn't that the clinics weren't any good anymore. Right. It, it was just that like, I was just at maximum capacity and I felt too, like I really wasn't learning anything. I was just hearing good stuff that was great, but I, I really wasn't learning anything. And the problem so, is it just comes in. It's kind of like, it just comes in and then it goes away because it's like, Oh, that's great. But it's not, you didn't, you're not, it's like, I, it's like diving into a good book. You dive into the book and you learn and you both, and then you go on, then you'll remember that stuff. It's when with all that noise, I think it's really hard. Um, is there one, is there one moment, one, um, coaching moment, success, a failure that we could dive into that a young coach might learn from? Yeah, I think it, I've spoken to that national championship game. So I'll just tell you how it worked out in the last few seconds. We had an opportunity with about 10 seconds left to win the game. And we were down by one point, <laughs> brought the ball over to the sidelines and called a timeout and ran a play. And looking back on it, I, I don't regret it, but the things that I, in the moment I did, because I thought, oh man, if we had only done this, and I think just being more prepared for those moments, it's not necessary that your players are prepared for everything. I think they need to be prepared, but it's, it's a sport where you don't know what the opponents are going to do. And there's a lot of opponents, right? Right. So like, there's so many factors that you can't control but we talk about controlling the controllables and one of those controllables is you being completely prepared so i think you know me being prepared for exactly what i want to happen at the end of a game um you know and all the possibilities and 
you know, again, the players don't need to know what all of those possibilities are, what the defense is, you know, a whole, we could talk a whole nother podcast about scouting. Right. And right. I can tell you literally everything about every, about every player on the opposite team. But the truth of the matter is your players aren't going to remember any of it. Right. Right. So I can, there's a point where I can give them too much information, but that doesn't mean that I don't need to know all that. Right. And so just making sure that I'm prepared for each moment, I think that goes back to the point that we just talked about. And as a teacher, I'm probably biased to this, but I just feel like I need to keep learning. I need to keep growing. I need to keep um, expanding what I know and what I understand so that I'm prepared for whatever comes next or that I can lead those young people into whatever that is and be prepared. Like you, you know, this feeling, you don't want to be in a situation where everybody's looking at you. Right. And you don't know what to do. Right. And I think that that only comes with time. And I think that we're never as individuals prepared for everything, but I can continue to grow and learn. And that's something going back to that John Wooden, you know, Steve Lavin, I was talking to him about it last week. And he said, coach was learning up until the day that he died. And I think we all know that, but actually being devoted to that and taking the time to do that is something different. It's, it is, it is. And I tell the co I tell young coaches too. I said, you need to know everything. Your players don't need to know everything. I mean, exactly. I need to know how to run a one, three, one, and I need to know how to counter it. They don't, <laughs> they need to know some things, but you, you know, that's where you have to be Yoda. Um, and you have to know all, and then, you know, they have to, you have to be able to convey that to them when they need it. Um, I would say too, like that, it takes a, a dose of humility as well. There are times where I don't tell my players everything. Right. And I know sometimes they're thinking like, this guy's an idiot or this guy really doesn't know what he's talking about. And I can stand there and defend myself and say, yeah, I, I know. And, and I think younger coaches probably are more apt to do that. I probably was when I was a younger coach. Right. But there are times where I can see it on their face. Like I've coached long enough where I can tell that you're thinking right now that I'm an idiot. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I know more about this situation than you do, but I don't need to tell you that. Right. Um, so. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. So let's do rapid fire. These are just qu quick questions. Um, What's your favorite, what's the favorite brand of basketball, the actual ball you used to play with and why? Um, I can't even think of it. What, oh, the jet. And I think the, the, I'm talking about the old Wilson jet. Wow. No one has said that. And so that made, I don't even know if I've seen a Wilson have. jet. They tried to bring them back and remake them. And when they brought them back, so probably the people that are listening to this are like, that ball is junk. And it was junk. I'm talking about the original Wilson Jets. Okay. They, were, they were great. I had two, two or three of them. Um, but we're talking about like the 90s jet, not the and, 2000s jet. And they were, it was the feel. You liked it the feel. Too, it wasn't too tacky. It also wasn't too slick. It was, I mean, it was a ball ahead of its time. Okay. Um, one word to describe your ideal player. Teachable. Okay. Um, one thing you would change about the game. Not for me, but for you guys is the shot clock. Okay. We, we, and I could have an hour discussion on the shot clock at some point. Uh, <laughs> I'm not anti shot clock. I'm just not sure what it does to the game. Like how does it improve the game? Uh, selfishly for me, it is kind of a, it's, I think it's boring, first of all, with the shot clock, 
<clears throat> I went to a game one time recruiting and it was awful. <laughs> right. And then... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It doesn't do it doesn't do your players who are going on, which I know is a small percentage. Very small, very <laughs> small percentage. Yeah but it doesn't do them any advantage. Right. No, I agree. And the thing is, I think, and here's, here's my counter to that. The game you want, I'm a, I'm a statistician by trade. So the game you saw was an observational study, which was you just seeing one thing and it really sticking with you. There's tens of thousands of games that it's not mm -hmm. an issue. Um, right. I, I do think it, you know, it, it, it would be different for me though, coaching at that level because of the change of strategy towards the end of a game. So, it does change strategy. And the thing is, I deal with players that when they have the ball in the hand can do something with it. There's a lot of, lot of small towns, lots of mm -hmm. things that I don't know necessarily would be good for the game at that level. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about it in our level, like my guys, most of my guys can play college basketball if they want, if they play for me. Right. You know, we're dealing with kids that, you know, they, this, they pick it up after, you know, football season and that's all they do. And it's right. like, or, you know, it's a, it's a small school in rural Wisconsin who has, you know, seven kids on the roster i i mean that's my i don't think it's coming i definitely think it's not coming now because of finances yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, i i think too you know a lot of it is influenced the coaches that i hear speaking about are, are influenced by style of play and if you look historically at the game style of play is associated with region of the country yeah not yeah 100 percent but yep historically it is yep. it has been changing and so you probably get voiced opinions of people who prefer a style of play that aren't and I play a very fast style the most I don't think the shot clock would be an issue I'm just I understand why the three-point line came in I understand I personally think it's not I mean I think we should get rid of the jump ball that's my thing before I'm done with this thing mm -hmm. why do we jump the ball at the beginning of the game why I mean mm -hmm. they're horrible at tossing it yeah. and you know it's an archaic thing why are we doing that anymore um yeah why don't we just give it to the visiting team and start the game on the sideline? Let's go. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's archaic. So, I mean, I understand yeah. rule changes, but the rule changes should have a meaning behind them. Right. Um, that, that's my only issue with the shot clock. I, you know, I, I don't think it would come into play. I think you can teach people to do it. You know, one of the arguments is it's a hard thing to do. I agree, but I think, um, you know, it's, yeah. Anyway, it's that that could be an eight hour discussion. About shot <laughs> it is literally whenever I want to get people going on Twitter, I'll just ask about the shot clock. Yeah. And it's like, yes. it's like it, yeah. <laughs> there is you are in one camp or another. I'm actually in the middle. I don't really care. Yeah. I just I'm just not sure what it does for the game. I think what makes high school unique is it doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. Most of it doesn't have it um, mm -hmm. that you can play a different style. Um, you know, if it, I think it's going to become more vanilla if everybody in the country had the shot clock. I think the games would become very similar, um, mm -hmm. similar to the collegiate game, mm -hmm. um, especially at the D1 level. But I don't know. Just, <laughs> you know, we could talk about this. There's a counter and, a, and, a, and another counter to every shot clock discussion. Right. Right. Uh, if you go to one sporting event, what would you go to and why? 
uh, I've already been to it. It was a national championship game, and my team won, so I feel like my experience is kind of over at this point. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite pregame meal? I actually don't eat that much after or before because I know that the postgame meal is probably going to be better than the pregame meal. So the <laughs> pregame meal is typically like a salad. <laughs> okay. I, I don't normally eat. I usually forget to eat. Um, one skill not being taught in today's game. I think it's what we talked about earlier, and it's not that it's not being taught. I just think that we're just not used to teaching it. It's the decision-making. Okay. And I, I, I think that there's ways to do it to do it more effectively, but people are learning how to do that. And what does that mean? That's one of those terms like decision-making. Okay, so what does that actually look like? And I think as a teacher, you know, breaking the skills down to those details, this is what teaching the players what to look for and that we talked about earlier. I think just us becoming better at decision-making um, rather than, and coaches aren't doing it. I just don't feel like they know exactly the best way to do it yet. Do you think this is a side note, not a, not a question from my list. Um, do you think kids are better or worse shooters than they were 10 years ago? Ours are better, but that's because we spend more time on it. Um, at, I know at the high school level, it's not fair too, because I'm getting players who typically are your better shooters because Right. They're playing at the college level, right? right. So, um, but I do know working with camps and working with my other coaching friends who have come to me for advice, I've told them spend more time on shooting, and their teams have gotten better at shooting, and they win more games. Like, they do. It's just simply. They do. I think I I think everybody it. can be a shooter. I'm not sure everyone can be a scorer. Correct. Um, I think everybody can be a shooter. Like I would agree. Um, what here's a side note. This is another side note, just for question for you, because I again listen to your podcast last. What do you think of the mid game, the mid shot, the 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 not the not the three footer and in and not the three pointer and out? Do you think the mid range game is coming back? I think it's gonna I think in the next five to seven years it's gonna come back. So let me just teach you talk, tell you how I teach at the college level. What I typically find is when kids come in, they want to be shooting off the dribble. They just practice. I mean, you watch a kid before practice, right? Like he's just shooting everything. Right. And what you end up is with a master of none. Right. And so what I will work on with their freshman year is they will come in and they will shoot catch and shoot from spots on the floor that I know in our offense, they will get catch and shoot threes. Okay. So we work exclusively, literally exclusively on that. Once they, I feel like they've achieved kind of like where I want them to be with that. Then we'll start working on shooting off the dribble, catch and shoot threes. Then when I feel like they're, or they've put in a lot of work off the dribble, one bounce, you know, the shot fake, one bounce, pull up, jump shot. There was a player in those clips that I was just showing you. He was an all American and he was fantastic at shooting from deep. He was, I think at his senior year, a 40, like a 40, 50, 90. I think actually he was close to being a 50, 50, 90 kid. And he was fantastic at shooting from three, which means that defenders would fall for his shot fake. He'd take one dribble mid range, pull up jump shot. And he shot around 50 plus percent there. I think we're all against the mid range because kids aren't good at it. Kids aren't good at it because they don't practice it. I'm not saying that you should spend more time practicing it. I'm saying if a kid practices it and you're okay with it, then become a mid-range shooter. The problem is, is that we don't teach finishing. We teach finishing by getting out a giant pad and whopping them in the head 
when they get to the basket and say that we're practicing finishing and the kids can't finish because nobody can finish when they're getting whopped in the head right. with a giant red pad. Like, I just think, again, it goes back to the way that you practice. So what are you going to value? What are you going to spend your time practicing? And if the mid-range shot is, you know, how many kids do we have that you can tell them to get to the basket and finish, but they're so small or they're not strong enough that they're not going to finish anyways. That kid may be somebody that you want them to teach a mid-range jump shot. Right. That's what I'm doing with my son. He's about 6'1". And it's like he can shoot the three like no tomorrow. I said, your next step is not the rim. Your next step is the mid-range. Because I think a lot of – I think a lot of – when you – well, I've watched enough film. You probably watch more than me. But you notice that there's a lot of openings right now in the Mm mid-range. Like Mm -hmm. people are leaving that. Um, well, if you think about it, where are your help defenders, your help defenders are in the paint because their players are in the paint because all we pay attention to is the paint and the three-point line. Right. So I think that if you're able to do it, then you are going to carve out a niche for yourself. I do. And I think I love what you said about that, that progression of, you know, master this. I mean, mm-hmm. Don't be a master of none. Be a master this. And then once you've mastered that, I have other things in the toolbox you can use. Um, some, some, I had a couple of guests on who are, if I mentioned them, the audience would know who they are and they don't necessarily agree with that entirely. It's not, they disagree with it. They just are more open to kind of, I think it goes back again to that randomizing principle. Right. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. We shoot from different spots on the floor. It's just that once you start putting the ball on the floor and then getting the ball up, you're adding so many additional factors into getting that ball right to the right shot pocket and shooting it at the right release point. You're just adding additional factors. That's the reason why I start with catch and shoot. If you teach it the right way, you can't really screw up. I catch, I get it to where I need to get it, and I shoot it and release it, and it goes in. You start bouncing it. I mean, we're talking about are you a left-hand pull-up shooter because you've got to bring the ball now across your body are you all right bounce pull up shoot like the ball is right. all over the place right and you just immediately decrease the consistency in your shoot. but i even think i even think so i even think you can find mid-range off the catch like i'm not even saying complicate the what they're doing from behind the three yeah. i think there's i think there's an opening and this is just yeah. me this is just me spitting stuff out at this point i think there's an opening over the next five to 10 years. Cause everyone, if you, everyone's doing analytics, everyone's doing shoot threes or attack the rim. Mm-hmm. I just think there's a, I think there's an opening for, for people. No one's talking about it unless I'm missing it. About yeah, that a lot mid- of it too, I think has to do with where you're again, going back to style, where are you originally placing your players on the floor? Right. And I think that, you know, you and I are from a time you Reggie Miller, started out underneath of the basket and is running off pin downs right if you think about it how many plays start off with i run off a pin down at the bottom the, the defender is locking and chasing and i'm curling into an open spot somewhere around 15 feet feet catching right. it and shooting it like it's, it's i think again it goes back to style i do too i mean i i'll, I'll beat anybody in a buff because we used to when i was in high school we ran like a very structured i mean and we were there was no three-point line when i was in high school and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll beat any one of my guys right now shooting 15 mm-hmm. footers because I, that's what I did. Yeah. I didn't, there was no reason for yeah. me to move deeper. Uh, <laughs> I didn't need to. Right. Um, all right. Well, how, what do you do to relax? What's one thing you do to relax? Um, this is what I, 
I have had other coaches get after me for this. What I do to relax is to talk to you about basketball and okay. watch basketball. And it's just a hobby. I mean, I, I just, I love it. So yeah. outside of that, just spending time with my kids going kids. on a walk or whatever. Oh yeah. Your kids are a great age. What, uh, what coaching technique do you consider important? Uh, the teaching. Okay. Uh, I, I think, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I think that the teaching is something that we all know is important, but until you get reps doing it, you're probably not going to be a very good teacher. Yeah. And I think that that just takes time. And so I do think that it's a skill, but it's not just a skill that either you have or you don't have. I think that you can get better at it, but you need to put yourself in positions to teach as much as possible. There are a ton of guys out there who know the game. And I guarantee you there are a ton of guys who are sitting on benches at the D1 level who know far more than I do or any other teacher does, but I get reps in the classroom literally every day. And I think that I have an advantage over some of those who just stand on the sidelines and do a little teaching here and there. Right. Uh, I agree. Um, what's, um, what's the best, what's the best, ba best basketball player you have seen, you have seen in person. I mean, I don't know about like the best, but like just the most impressive is just, I, I, I'm from South Carolina and you know, I recruited up at, uh, the star center where Zion played all of his games. And so I'll just go with most impressive the, oh, there was his junior year where it was before everybody knew who he was. So I was sitting in stands that weren't that packed on one of these side courts and he went up for a dunk and missed the dunk and it ricocheted back to half court. And it was the most impressive dunk I've ever seen. And it didn't go in. <laughs> I know we played in uh, that. We, we played it. We played. We came out for a tournament in Dunham, Dunham, um, Durham, Dorman. Dorman, Durham. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a pr pr impressive high school facility. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, that that was when Zion was still down there, so he was definitely the talk in Spartanburg. Yeah. Um, uh, what's um, best player of all time? Jordan, but okay. At the college level career the player that i would want to play with is lebron so i know those are all different answers that's all different I, answers yeah yeah and i yeah. think there's one that lives in wisconsin right now that's got could be in the discussion by the time he's done i think oh, okay i all think right. yeah i think Giannis could be that special i do yeah. I really do i don't know yeah. he's just he, he's a basketball body when you look at him and see him play in person if you put some ooh, i don't know it'll be will be, there has to be a freakish element yeah yes. there has yeah yeah, to be that player, you have to be one in a million. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing that's helped you become a better coach. Actually, I think it's, I talked about uh, Coach Uaro and his, and the Coach Ring, who coached before, was like this as well. I was just in a different position. But those were both of them were individuals who gave me a responsibility and then let me learn in that responsibility. I think if you can, I would say to young coaches, get on a staff where the coach is not a micromanager and is interested in investing in you. And, you know, it's not, it's not about, Hey, what will you do for me? Those things, most coaches are willing to invest in you and let you grow and develop. And both of those men have really given me responsibility and then let me learn. Hey everybody. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Make sure you subscribe, like, um, we love those. Um, and send me an email, steve at teachhoops.com. Tell me what you want to hear in the future. Also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Have a great day. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. 
If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.